Welcome to The Catholic Perspective, a podcast brought to you by rcspirituality.org. Enjoy the episode. Jesus summoned his apostles, the ones he wanted, and he appointed them to be his companions. To follow that call required a commitment to prayer and fellowship, orare and amare for those first disciples of the Lord, and requires the same from us so many generations later. But Jesus also appointed them for a task. St. Mark describes this task as being sent out to proclaim the message with power to drive out devils. This is the task of the whole church and of every Christian, the mission received from the moment of baptism to roll back the powers of evil and sin that have made such a mess of the world and to spread the redeeming truth and goodness of Christ's everlasting kingdom. In other words, we are called to courageously give to others what we have received, the good news of Jesus Christ and the grace to live in harmony with that good news. This courageous giving, this dare, the third core element in our Christian living, is traditionally called apostolate or apostolic action. The word apostolate and apostle both come from the Greek root word that means to be sent out. And that's the word St. Mark uses to describe the Christian mission, being sent out to proclaim the message with power to drive out devils. Every Sunday, when we affirm our faith in the one holy Catholic and apostolic church, we are also renewing our commitment to this mission. Here's how the Catechism explains it. The whole church is apostolic in that she remains, through the successors of St. Peter and the other apostles, in communion of faith and life with her origin, and in that she is sent out into the whole world. All members of the Church share in this mission, though in various ways. The Christian vocation is, of its nature, a vocation to the apostolate as well. Indeed, we call an apostolate every activity of the mystical body that aims to spread the kingdom of Christ over all the earth. Every Christian is called to be an apostle. We need to stop and reflect on that statement, especially the part that reminds us the Christian vocation is of its nature a vocation to the apostolate as well. We are all called to engage in spreading the faith, in sharing with others what we have received from God, every single one of us. Sometimes we think that it's just the priests, the nuns, and consecrated missionaries who are called to spread the faith, and the rest of the church is just supposed to passively hold on to the faith. Not true. The church's mission is shared by every member of the church. We are all missionaries. And that mission is to spread the faith, to bring every person into friendship with Jesus Christ to open channels for God's grace, to free them from their sins and lead them along the path of redemption and holiness. Here's how the Second Vatican Council explained it. On all Christians, therefore, is laid the preeminent responsibility of working to make the divine message of salvation known and accepted by all men throughout the world. Remember what happens at baptism. The baptized person receives a candle whose flame was lit from the Easter candle. What are we supposed to do with that? We're supposed to let it shine, to use it to light more candles wherever the light of Christ hasn't yet cast out the darkness of evil, sin, and ignorance. Jesus told us this in no uncertain terms. You are the light of the world. A city set on a mountain cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and then put it under a bushel basket, 
it is set on a lampstand, where it gives light to all in the house. Just so, your light must shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Heavenly Father. This is our fundamental mission in life. Not making money, not winning championships, not even living a just, peaceful, and moral life. Those things are fine and good, and the last one is even necessary. But as followers of Christ, we are called to more. We are called to be His co-workers, His messengers, His apostles, spreading His gospel and rolling back the powers of evil that do so much damage to the human family that Jesus died to save. Every single one of us is called to that mission. Here's how Pope Benedict XVI explained it. Christianity is the present. It is both a gift and a task, receiving the gift of God's inner closeness and, as a consequence, bearing witness to Jesus Christ. But how? How are we supposed to engage in this mission? In a sense, there are as many forms of apostolate as there are individual Christians. God wants His redeeming grace to penetrate every corner of time and space, so He guides each one of us to carry that grace into our unique circle of influence. The Catechism reminds us of this, too, when it tells us, In keeping with their vocations, the demands of the times, and the various gifts of the Holy Spirit, the apostolate assumes the most varied forms. This is why the first requirement for carrying out our apostolic mission is to be good listeners, to listen to the whispers of the Holy Spirit directing our desires, our hopes, our thoughts, our actions. But the Church has identified three general categories of apostolate. In fact, the Second Vatican Council published an entire decree describing the apostolate of the Church, especially of the laity, called Apostolicam Actuositatem. Understanding these general categories will help us be better listeners and more effective apostles. Let's take a look at them one by one. Our way. The first arena of apostolate is simply our way of living. As Christians, we are children of the eternal King. As apostles, we are messengers of the everlasting Lord. This is who we are, and it should affect the way we do everything we do, the way we relate to other people, the way we react to every situation that life throws at us. Because we have received the Spirit of Christ, our manner of behavior should be like Christ's, full of humble dignity, generosity, responsibility, openness, and simple elegance. In what we choose to do and say, and in how we do and say it, God's grace can help us be a living example of the goodness, love, and wisdom of the Lord. How do you think Jesus worked in the carpenter shop with St. Joseph? Lazily? Sloppily? Irresponsibly? No chance. How do you think the Blessed Virgin Mary would have interacted with the other women of Nazareth at the town well? Self-centered? Self-absorbed? Impatient? Judgmental? Hardly. As we mature in our faith, we are filled more and more with God's grace, and this shines out in the way we live, the way we do things. As the Second Vatican Council put it, the very testimony of their Christian life and good works, done in a supernatural spirit, have the power to draw men to belief and to God. There should be something different about Christians, something intangibly luminous about the way they do the ordinary things of life. Because after the Incarnation, after God himself lived out the ordinary things of life for thirty years in a small town in Galilee, those ordinary things have been touched by grace and turned into windows of glory 
Brother Marco taught me this lesson in our novitiate. One morning during housework, we were both assigned to fold laundry. There were over a hundred seminarians living in the center at the time, and there were mountains of laundry to fold. I strongly disliked folding laundry. As we worked, I was getting mad and frustrated and tired and resentful and full of self-pity. I was carrying on a vibrant conversation with myself, telling myself that I hadn't joined the seminary in order to fold laundry. And the more self-absorbed I became, the slower and sloppier my folding became. About halfway through our hour of housework, I looked up and noticed my fellow novice, Brother Marco. Brother Marco was working about twice as hard as I was, and folding clothes about ten times better than I was. I kept looking at him. He was working with attention to detail, sincere effort, and a look of calm determination on his face. Finally, I interrupted him. I asked, Brother Marco, don't you hate folding laundry? Why are you pushing yourself so much? He looked up, smiled, and said, I don't much like folding laundry, but I very much like working for the Lord. His love for God was reflected in his way of working. After the three wise men found Jesus and Mary in Bethlehem, worshipped him, and gave him their gifts, St. Matthew tells us that they went home. They went back to their normal lives. But, the Gospel writer tells us, they departed for their country by another way. Another way. A different way. After encountering the Lord, we live all of life in a different way. And that different way becomes a magnet to draw others towards that same transforming encounter with Jesus Christ. St. Paul understood this and repeated it over and over again in his letters. Here's how he explained it to the Christians in Colossae. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if one has a grievance against another. As the Lord has forgiven you, so must you also do. And over all these, put on love, that is, the bond of perfection, and let the peace of Christ control your hearts, the peace into which you were also called in one body, and be thankful. Our words. Our first apostolate consists simply in reflecting God's goodness in the way we go about the business of daily living. Our second field of apostolate has to do with our words. Here's how the Second Vatican Council put it. A true apostle looks for opportunities to announce Christ by words addressed either to non-believers with a view to leading them to faith, or to the faithful with a view to instructing, strengthening, and encouraging them to a more fervent life. For the charity of Christ impels us. The words of the apostle should echo in all hearts, Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Some members of the church are ordained in order to preach the gospel in an official manner, but every single one of us is called to be able to explain our faith to others and to look for opportunities to do that. St. Peter put it like this in his first letter to all Christians. Always be ready to give an explanation to anyone who asks you for a reason for your hope. Of course, to be able to explain our faith to others, we have to understand it ourselves. We have to make an effort to understand the reasons behind what we believe and the implications of our faith for every aspect of the human drama. This takes study, conversation, and reflection, not just reading the latest headlines, and following the latest blogs. 
The Second Vatican Council urged us to take this apostolic opportunity to heart when it said, This sacred synod earnestly exhorts laymen, each according to his own gifts of intelligence and learning, to be more diligent in doing what they can to explain, defend, and properly apply Christian principles to the problems of our era in accordance with the mind of the Church. Words are powerful things. St. James illustrates this by comparing the human tongue, our primary organ of speech, to the tiny rudder of a huge ship and to a small match that can set an entire forest on fire. St. Paul also recognizes the power of words and gives a beautiful, though strict, standard that the Christian should live by in our speech. No foul language should come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for needed edification, that it may impart grace to those who hear. Words that impart grace and edify, words that build up those around us and help draw them closer to God, that's the second arena of apostolate, the apostolate of bearing testimony to God through what we say. Of course, that doesn't mean that we should only talk about spiritual things all the time. That would be inhuman. Nor does it mean forcing people to listen to personal sermons all the time. That would be disrespectful and counterproductive. But it does mean that we are called to be Christ's messengers, and we need to be ready and willing to impart the message when God gives us the chance. And he will. Not too long ago, I was getting into a car in one of those huge parking lots near a shopping mall. As I was getting in, I noticed a man running in my direction, dodging through some parked cars about five or six rows in front of me. By the time he reached me, I had already sat down in the driver's seat. But he stopped and asked if he could talk to me. So I opened the door and got out. He explained that he had just been sitting in his car, leaning against the steering wheel, praying for help. And he looked up and saw me walking through the parking lot, and he thought that that was the answer to his prayer. He went on to tell me that his mother had just passed away after a long, complicated, and drawn-out illness. A couple weeks had passed, and he wasn't at peace. He wasn't sure that he had made the right decisions about the treatments the doctors had recommended. So I asked him to tell me the whole story. And we stood there for a while, and he explained the entire situation. And together we talked it through. And I explained the church's teaching on end-of-life issues. And together we applied that to his mother's situation. And as we talked, I could physically see the tension and the anxiety drain away and peace and joy come over him. This is an example of the apostolate of the word, of speaking the truth in love, of being sent out to proclaim the message. Our Works Our way of life and our words are the first two arenas of apostolate. The third is our works. This has to do with projects and activities that we engage in so as to spread the message of Christ. The Second Vatican Council identifies three basic modes of this kind of apostolate. First, we can engage in projects and activities directed towards instructing and sanctifying people in the faith. This involves catechizing, teaching, and inviting people to participate in the life of the Church. A powerful example of this kind of apostolate can be found in the advertising campaign created by Catholics Come Home. Tom Peterson, the Catholic layman who started this apostolate, used to work in secular advertising. The Holy Spirit gradually stirred up in his heart a desire to use his knowledge of communications to bring non-practicing Catholics back home to the faith. 
These campaigns have been used successfully by numerous dioceses, and their internet reach has helped hundreds of thousands of people rediscover the beauty of their faith. Besides those kinds of evangelization projects, we can also engage in activities that improve and perfect what the Church calls the temporal order. That term refers to human society in all of its multiple dimensions. Here's how the Second Vatican Council explained it. The laity must take up the renewal of the temporal order as their own special obligation. The good things of life and the prosperity of the family, culture, economic matters, the arts and professions, the laws of the political community, international relations, and other matters of this kind, as well as their development and progress. Renewing the temporal order means building a society that reflects and protects the truth of human dignity in all of these spheres. In another place, the Council put it like this, Since the laity, in accordance with their state of life, live in the midst of the world and its concerns, they are called by God to exercise their apostolate in the world like leaven, with the ardor of the Spirit of Christ. This is the arena of apostolate most characteristic of the laity, as opposed to the ordained clergy. The Council made this very clear. The apostolate in the social milieu, that is, the effort to infuse a Christian spirit into the mentality, customs, laws, and structures of the community in which one lives, is so much the duty and responsibility of the laity that it can never be performed properly by others. We all know that Western civilization is no longer Christian. But if we who are Christ's apostles form a strong enough subculture and penetrate with God's light and grace the different sectors of civil society, we can gradually re-Christianize it, or at least protect it from further decay. This is a key element in what recent popes have called the new evangelization. Today's faithful Catholics who bring their Christian wisdom and knowledge to bear in science, politics, business, education, and entertainment can follow in the footsteps of the very first generations of Christians who converted the pagan Roman Empire from the inside out like leaven in a lump of dough. Besides works of evangelization and works that renew the temporal order, there is a third arena of apostolic works, projects and activities dedicated to mercy and charity, helping to show forth the love of God to those who are in need and can't help themselves. Orphanages, Hospitals, schools, and other social initiatives taken up to serve the poor and underprivileged are a powerful channel through which the Church spreads the message of God's redeeming love. The Second Vatican Council stressed the central role of this kind of apostolate when it declared that pity for the needy and the sick and works of charity and mutual aid intended to relieve human needs of every kind are held in highest honor by the Church. Works by which we start or join projects dedicated to evangelization, to renewing the temporal order, and to Christian mercy, this is the third category of apostolic action. We can do all of these apostolates as individuals or as groups and associations, but in each case we should always be in harmony with the rest of the work of the Church, never acting contrary to the loving fellowship we are called to live as Christ's companions. Conclusion. Answering the Call to Give. Answering this call to spread Christ's message, rolling back the darkness of sin and evil through our way, our words, and our works, is one of the most powerful ways to experience the joy that only Christ can give. He pointed this out when he said, There is more happiness in giving than in receiving. To give 
dare, to give to others what God has so generously given to us, and what He continues to give. This is the third element in our Christian motto of prayer, fellowship, and apostolate, of orare, amare, and dare. But in reality, they aren't three separate elements. They're more like three interconnected dimensions or three sides of a triangle. You can't really have one of them authentically without the other two. Because Christ himself is the source of all three dimensions. And wherever he is, he brings them all. The Catechism reminds us of this when it tells us, Christ, sent by the Father, is the source of the Church's whole apostolate. Thus, the fruitfulness of apostolate for ordained ministers, as well as for lay people, clearly depends on their vital union with Christ. But charity, drawn from the Eucharist above all, is always, as it were, the soul of the whole apostolate. Vital union with Christ. Prayer. The charity drawn from the sacraments. Fellowship. And apostolate. It's not a bad motto for someone who wants to be a complete Christian. You have been listening to The Catholic Perspective, a resource from rcspirituality.org. Please visit our website and check out more great resources to help you pray, learn, grow, and go. Please join our team of digital missionaries by subscribing at rcspirituality.org.